0: Good morning, everybody. This title makes me sound pretty sweet, <laughs> executive. If you don't know, that's Jordan. He uh, is the conference Kingdom Pursuit director here at the church, and also leads Student Revival, the youth group. So, does a really good job of the conference. And just to add one thought to the purpose of Kingdom Pursuit, um, I like to think of it as a corporate spiritual growth moment for us. So it's like us as an entire church. Are pausing, setting time aside to grow spiritually in like a kind of really focused way together. So I really hope that you can uh, join us for it. We think it's going to sell out. um, So I would I would get your spot before the Tuesday price jump. All right. So before I uh, share with you a message this morning, I want to take a moment and um, remember the uh, the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center, the Pentagon and the plane that went down in Pennsylvania. So 20 years ago yesterday, 2,977 lives were lost. And um, I want us to take a moment as a church to pray together, um, reflect on that for a second, and honor, especially not, take a moment to honor and celebrate all the first responders who gave their lives and who sacrificed, and so heroically and so Christ-like, ran into the buildings and, and uh, went forward to help um, so, in a moment, we're going to pray together for those families that uh, ha- have lost someone. But before that, I thought we should just stand up and clap and cheer for the first responders and just honor them, like as if they were here, as if they were be- really being honored. So, Lord, thank you. <clears throat> So why don't you just stay standing and we'll pray together. Before we pray, let me read two scriptures that I think Jesus would want us to, uh, that really fit and Jesus would want us to meditate on right now. First, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In the kingdom of God, it's not by running away from pain and problems that we get healing, but it's from running towards it with Jesus that um, we get comfort and healing, and this morning in the prayer time before the service, we really felt like the 20-year mark is a time we're supposed to move forward as a country, move forward as a nation, not continue to remember and be thankful for the sacrifice, but officially leave a place of mourning, okay? And there's people who haven't been able to because they're traumatized and they're in pain, and so we wanna pray for people who lost people. Maybe you're in this room and you lost someone in those attacks but certainly there's still trauma done to our nation from it. But let's pray that that stops and that we move past that. And then secondly, Jesus said this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So one of the distinctives of being a part of the kingdom of God is that when you're attacked, you don't only um, seek your own comfort, you actually pray for your attacker. You actually turn your heart towards love, towards the person who attacked you and um, hurt you. So we're going to pray for the families of the hijackers and the terrorists, and we're going to pray for the co-conspirators. Maybe you are still living; that they would encounter Jesus. And we're going to pray for the Middle East, and uh, we can lift up another prayer for Afghanistan. Um, so just pray with me, okay? Let's first start by praying for comfort and um, our country in that regard. So Lord. Thank you that you're near to the brokenhearted. In Jesus' name, we release the comfort that you purchased on the cross and from the resurrection to flood our nation this weekend. We pray for comfort for those who lost family members and who this is a traumatic, painful weekend for. Release your comfort over them. We just say to a a spirit of trauma that would want to attack our our nation, our government, and our citizens, we say be gone in Jesus' name. We speak peace over the hearts of the citizens of our country. We bless the city of New York. Thank you, it's gonna just be a hub of revival and of tons of a crazy revival amongst Muslims in New York City. Um, and Lord, we turn our hearts towards our so-called enemies. And we pray blessing over our enemies in Jesus' name. The families that were left behind by those hijackers and by the co-conspirators, we pray you would bless them, God. We pray mercy on them, Lord, that they would have a revelation of who you really are, Jesus, and how much you love them. And Lord, i even be so bold as just to pray that any roots of Islamophobia that still linger in our country from this would be lifted off in Jesus' name. Thank you that our country has a calling I'm um, in an assignment to bring revival in God's presence to Muslims in the Middle East. And we just say yes to that assignment. I pray you bless um, the United States of America, and I pray that you bless those who are mourning uh, the loss of 9-11. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can keep standing for the rest of the message. If you're really serious about Jesus, you won't sit down. All right, so just in case I've never met anyone before here, there's lots of people I've never met before, but um, the people here in this room or the people on the live stream, just wanna say, my name is Wilson, one of the pastors here. And uh, several weeks ago, I got back from a trip to the Middle East. I was in the United Arab Emirates and got to be part of some really cool stuff. I shared here on a Sunday morning about that trip and the kind of focus of that message was the Great Commission, And I talked a lot about how our assignment, our calling, the um, marching orders that Jesus gave to us before before he left earth was that we would make disciples. And we would make disciples and we would teach them to do everything that Jesus taught us. So I wanna follow up that message this morning and talk more about what I believe a disciple is. And just put some adjectives and some descriptions around what a disciple is. So I titled this message, Three core qualities of a disciple. Three core qualities of a disciple. I didn't make these up. I learned these from lots of other people. It's kind of, yeah, I didn't make it up. But I, I really like them. I think they're a good launching pad. And turn with me to James 2.19. It's after Hebrews. Reminding myself that. All right, James 2.19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You guys, I really believe that in the post-COVID world, which we're not even post-COVID, still going everywhere, and, um, but in this world that has undoubtedly changed after the pandemic, I believe one of the shifts God wants to do in Christianity is moving us from being believer-focused to disciple-focused. He wants us to move from a believer mentality to disciple mentality. And one of the big differences is, disciple, by by the word disciple, what you're implying is action. Believer, when we say believer, we're kind of stopping at a um, revelation in your heart or a thought in your mind. But a a disciple is someone who follows someone else, who takes action to be like someone else. And look at what James says. Even the demons believe that God is one. So believing, just believing, just stopping there, isn't gonna change the world. Just believing in Jesus is not going to change the world. And I think part of the reason that... um, we've kinda gotten to this place where there's like a extra focus on do you believe in Jesus is because of the gospel message that we've preached, especially in America, for the last 70 years. And it's had a the gospel message we've preached has had an overemphasis on heaven and on eternity. If you died today, where would you go, right? Um, Heaven or hell, we've made the whole conversation about after earth. All you, so like it makes sense that we've reduced what it means to be a Christian to being a believer because all we're focused on is where we go when we die. And I know that you guys aren't. I'm talking to a room full of people who get it, who live on mission, who wanna share the gospel, who wanna disciple people, who wanna be the hands and feet of Jesus. But um, I think there's parts of the way we believe that we need to tweak and nuance. Um, To be a believer, we're not implying change in action. But when we talk about a disciple and a follower, we're saying, hey, your life looks different. It's not just about personal values and thoughts. It's about fruit coming out of those personal values, out of that personal transformation. When when we make our gospel message totally focused on heaven or hell, what we do is we reduce, it's like we don't even need to be changed and live different right now. Because the whole message we're preaching is just about later. But J- Jesus talked about eternal life as like one, you know, slit, one slice of the gospel message he preached. He was talking to real people who are really gonna try and continue his ministry. We're gonna really try and continue what he did. Now, now turn to John 14, 21. whoever has my commandments and keeps them or obeys them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So I just wanna to propose to you guys that true belief leads to true transformation, which, re- which leads to true obedience. You really believe, you really are changed, you really live different. So here are the three core qualities that I want us to... Um, look at this morning of a disciple. A disciple is someone who listens, obeys, and shares. A disciple is someone who listens to Jesus, obeys Jesus, and shares Jesus. You can leave this up, Denise. Now, I think, so there's a million qualities of what it means to be a disciple, right? There's a, it's, you can't, I'm trying to break down into three broad categories, And so that's what I want to do the rest of the message is kind of like flesh out what all falls under um, listening to Jesus? What part of our Christian life, what part of our Christian life falls under obeying him and what part of it falls under sharing him? And part of my my heart um, motivation in in sharing this message is that if we want to make something, disciples, if we want to reproduce something, we need to have language to describe what we're doing. And we need to have a... uh, a point of reference for what we're trying to develop in others. So my hope is that this, this three-fold definition of a disciple, as someone who listens, obeys, and shares, will be something that we could rally around as a church and be thinking about, hey, how am I grow- what's my intimacy with Jesus like, my listening? Is my life, um, am I basing my life, my decisions around Jesus? Am I obeying him? And then how am I sharing him? How am I sharing the good news that he rose from the dead and that he's amazing and that he loves you and wants to change your life? How am I doing that area so we can look at ourselves that way? Not to introspect and freak out, but to have a, a marker for where we're going. And then also that we can develop and help others walk out this journey of being a disciple. We can be in relationship with other people saying, hey, how is it going with your personal intimacy with Jesus? How is it going with um, the decisions you're making in in your life, is it looking like Jesus? Do you know how to share the gospel? How can I equip you better to share Jesus' love, to demonstrate his love? So this is to look at ourselves and to be able to develop other disciples. Now, before we go into talking about listens, um, I just wanna say the point of this, these three core qualities and making this list is not to be dogmatic, it's not to be, not. It shouldn't. It I hope it doesn't elicit any pride or any elitism, That's, I'm not trying to say, the purpose of this is not you're not a disciple or you are a disciple, the purpose of this is how do we take our next step of growth in being a disciple, okay? So this isn't to measure and weigh like, well, that person's a disciple and they're not, it's to help the people that are wanting to be disciples take their next step of discipleship. Does that make sense? All right, so let's start with listens. Um. listens. Okay. John 14, 26. You're already there. Just go down a couple more verses. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So there's a bunch of things I want to point out about this verse. But the first thing that I really love is that the Trinity is in this um, is in this one verse. The Father, so the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will be sent by the Father, and He will remind us of Jesus. What this shows me about God is that He loves relationship. <laughs> he like embodies it, because He's three in one, three different people in one, that's God. He hangs out, always. <laughs> he's never alone. He's always, he's, by nature, He's in relationship. And so God has designed us to be in relationship as well with each other and with him. So the emphasis of this first uh, core quality of a disciple is being in relationship with Jesus. Now he says that what will the Holy Spirit do? He will bring to remembrance all that Jesus has said. So how is he gonna do that? By talking to us. God wants conversation with us. He wants relationship with us. Um, That's what makes us different from unbelievers is that we have relationship with Jesus. If you're not following Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him. That's one of the distinctives of our faith and who we are. Now flip over um, in this, I'm gonna hang out in John a lot today. Look over to John 15. uh, Chapter 15, verse 15. Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. All right, so first, no longer will he call us servants, but he calls us friends. We ask ourselves, why is that? Well, Jesus explains it. It's because servants don't always know what the master is doing don't always know the master's plan. And when you think about it, this makes a lot of sense for what the experience of being a disciple was like. You know, like Jesus is always speaking these cryptic riddles and speaking in parables. It's because he wasn't making it open, the plan, all the time. But now, this is right before Jesus goes to the cross, he's saying, look, it's all plain now. He starts speaking just with no more metaphors, no more um, parables, he's just telling them exactly what their mission is, exactly what he's about to do. And what that, what that is is that's the initiation in, human, in humanity, the shift from humans serving God to humans co-laboring with God. That's what God wants from us is our is partnership with us working with him as his friends. Isn't that incredible? So when you think of listen, think of this. Think of intimacy, here, here are my four descriptors just to flesh it out more intimacy, scripture, prayer, and encounters. A quick word on each of them. Intimacy this is openness, vulnerability, opening your whole life to God, being willing to talk to Him about everything going on in your life. Scripture um, what do we say? A mark of a disciple is someone who listens. Well, what, the best way to grow in hearing God's voice is to read scripture. And, and to um, just meditate on, to memorize it, to dwell on it. It's the number one way, the most practical way to grow in hearing God's voice. It's not the only way, God speaks in a lot of ways, but the more you read scripture and the more you um, dwell on it, the more you're gonna actually recognize God's voice because God's speaking so much. <laughs> it's not a matter of does he speak to you or not? It's do you listen, do you notice, do you perceive or not? Um, next I'm going to skip prayer, or come back to that encounters. So when I say encounters, I'm talking about imaginative and sensory experiences with God. Imaginative, meaning it all happens in your mind. That's amazing. God wants to encounter you in your imagination. He didn't create your, your imagination wasn't created for the devil. <laughs> your imagination uh, was created for you to see what God wants you to see. See things you're not currently seeing in the world, you can imagine it and then bring it into being. Our imaginations were created for God. And then secondly, sensory experience. Who loves feeling God's presence? <laughs> you know, like that's why worship is the highlight of our gathering is because we get a touch of, um, and you know you can get it besides just on Sunday, but there's something special when we all come together, we all lift our hands together, we all sing the same words together, that God loves that and reveals himself in a really sensory way where we actually feel him. And again, God didn't create our five senses just for the functional purpose of operating on earth. He also created our five senses so we could recognize him and his presence. And it's overflow. In the Garden of Eden, they saw him, they smelled him, they tasted him, they touched him, they felt him. Well, when heaven breaks in now, we get the the Garden of Eden experience again. And now lastly, prayer. Now, a quick word, so on prayer, something that I'm growing in a lot and that uh, is kind of a newer thing for me is intentional prayer. So much of my life I've defined prayer as just talking to God. You know, who's ever said that before? It's easy, pray, just talk to God. Well, you know what I propose to you? Um, when you're just talking to God, you're not praying, you're actually just talking to God. <laughs> like, we don't need to put a spiritual religious word on communicating with God. You know what I'm saying? Like, when I talk to my wife, that's just talking to my wife. Who's more real, God or my wife? <laughs> so I don't need to use a special, special language to reference talking to God, talking to Jesus. When the disciples came to Jesus and said, Teach us how to pray, he didn't say, just go talk to God, just whatever you want. That's amazing, that's brilliant, and we should do that. But he actually gave them a specific words to use and recite and a, a kind of a pathway of, of interacting with God. So I think that one of the one of the keys to growing in our listening is intentional prayer, praying scripture. Um, praying the Lord's prayer, praying the prayers that Paul prayers um, throughout the epistles. Just to emphasize this more, you know, my wife and I are doing marriage counseling, and one of the really practical things that our marriage counselor gave us is to have a 20-minute intentional conversation every, like a 20-minute meeting every single day where we're not on our phone, we're not doing anything else, but we're just sitting down for 20 minutes intentionally. And it doesn't have to be like, you know, how are you feeling or tell me your dreams. It can just be like making the grocery list. But it's 20 minutes of focused us two on each other. And then one hour a week, and, and then a one hour a week meeting also. This is like different than when we're just making breakfast and we're talking about things, right? There's something different that happens when you sit down with intentionality with someone and communicate. So our prayer lives, there's intentionality God's inviting us to as far as listening. By the way, I hope all this stuff is so simple that you could repeat it, okay? I'm trying to make this not some expository theological essay. My hope is that we all walk out of this room with another tool in our belt for how to disciple people. Hey, I'm gonna help them grow in their listening, their obeying, and their sharing. So let's move on to obeying, All right, there's a quote from a guy named Dallas Willard, who's a pretty famous Christian author author that I really love, and he says this, grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Grace is opposed to earning something, not to effort. It's easy, right, to think um, that we shouldn't like work at all, there's no at least I feel like that can get kind of caught up in the message of grace and the message that God unconditionally loves you and receives you, is we can forget that we have a mission and we are supposed to live a life of obedience towards our king to advance his mission. So grace is opposed to earning, not effort. John 14, 21, back to John 14, verse 22. I love this passage of scripture. Uh, Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, says... Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? So what's he saying here? He's saying, how is it that we will experience you and know you as a real person when you leave, but the world won't? And here's Jesus, because he's not gonna be walking, embodied, incarnate on the earth anymore. How are people gonna see you? How are people gonna know you? And here's what Jesus says. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So basically, how is the world gonna uh, see Jesus after he leaves? Through us, (laughs) because he's going to be in us. His home is gonna be in us. We are gonna be his representatives. He's gonna be here. They'll know that Jesus is around because they'll see us and how we live and how we talk and how we think and how we behave and how we sacrifice. And then verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I'm gonna read um, 23 again. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So boom, we should just pause right there and think about the sobering nature of that statement from Jesus. Anything we thought we knew about love before that, what it meant to love Jesus, we can just kind of pause and push to the side and realize that true love of Jesus is tied to obedience. There's no, I love Jesus, but I don't live for him. I think that someone can have a season of that and then they repent and they come back into actively obeying and following Jesus. The evidence of our love for Jesus is obeying him. And it's not like a, um, "I need to obey him to prove that I love him. That's a warped mindset. It's, wow, why am I just like doing everything Jesus wants? Oh yeah, because I love him so much that like I want to do what he wants. That's where my heart is at. I want to honor him. I want to follow him. And then verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word you hear is not mine, but my father's who sent me. So Jesus is basically saying here, look, I'm not even the one that defines what it looks like to love me. That's, that's not up to me. I'm not telling you that this, this isn't my opinion. This is my father's opinion. This is coming from the top. This is what true love of Jesus looks like is keeping his words and following him, obeying him. So when you think of obey, think of these four words or these four things, love, ethics, perseverance, and decisions. Not, okay, love, ethics, decisions, and Perseverance. A quick word on ethics, and I wanna throw into this, sin. Um, What we get to see through Jesus' teaching is we get a clear picture of what is sin and what isn't. That's part of one of the great things the Bible does is it defines morality for us. So we need to be clear on what is sin so that we can avoid it. But hear this, we don't wanna be clear on what is sin so that we judge it or so that we fear it. That's not the point of being clear on what is sin and what's not sin. The point of being clear on what is sin and what isn't sin is so that we avoid it, not so that we focus on it and pick on it and tell other people what they're doing wrong and judge and get scared of the sin in other people's lives. Jesus wasn't freaked out by the sin in other people's lives. He went into their messy situations. So it's, it's so that we, and, and the, the truth is that sin is just harmful to us. So when we see it clearly, we know what's harming us versus what's good. Um, when we talk about ethics, we're thinking of how do we actually live? How do we function in the kingdom of God as Christians and as kingdom people? And a really great place to study that is a Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is in Matthew 5 and 6, 7, he's given this revolutionary lifestyle that we're, we're supposed to embody to follow Jesus. Kind of like how earlier the kingdom ethic was to pray for the terrorists and to pray for their families. That is us obeying Jesus, obeying the kingdom ethic, you know, that we are supposed to love our enemies, not hate them, not speak ill of them, not revile them. All right, let's go on to shares. And I saved shares for last because I got a bunch of good testimonies. So um, my mom is right down here, Lori Cochran. She's one of the founders of this church and her birthday was yesterday. So come on. <laughs> she turned 50 yesterday. No, no. She did it. She turned 71. It's amazing. But last night at Top Golf, she shared her testimony in 15 seconds with someone. And the person at the end of it, my mom said, Hey, do you have a story like that? She just said, You know, there was a time in my life where I was broken in these certain ways, and then I met Jesus, and now I'm fixed in these certain ways. Do you have a story like that? And this leads to a conversation where this guy surrenders his life to Jesus and prays to receive Jesus right there in Top Golf. So Fifteen seconds, fifteen seconds of courage could change this guy's life forever. As as disciples of Jesus, one of the indicators is, is that we share Jesus. We share the message of the kingdom. In Acts 1 8, it says this. Jesus is warned, he's, he's given the disciples instructions, and he says, because he's just about to get sucked up into heaven. He says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. See, we need regular over and over and over encounters with the Holy Spirit. We need to get baptized afresh with God's power and God's presence every day, multiple times a day. Now it doesn't happen for me every day, multiple times a day, but I keep my heart in that place of the Lord every day, multiple times a day. And one of the things in the kingdom is, if you're hungry for something, God brings it to you. So just by stewarding a hunger for more of the Holy Spirit, you're actually setting yourself up to have more encounters with the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit's power coming upon us that enables us to share. It's not that we can only share when the Holy Spirit's power comes upon us, but it's that all effective sharing is overflow from encounter with the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? It's not that you can only share the gospel or, or, or be radically loving or pray for the sick when you've just been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but every time you're doing that, you're drawing on the deposit of the Spirit in you and, the, and His presence in you, eternally dwelling in you, that gives you the power, the ability to do that. For me, this takes the pressure off. It's not some personality trait about Wilson or about Lori or about anyone else that gives us the ability to share the gospel and share God's love. It's the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that's in me is in all of us. The Holy Spirit is the great evangelist. He's the person that um, gives us the words, the motivation, and the courage to share the good news with others. Um, And then I love that it's easy for us to kind of brush past this last statement, to be my witnesses. Something that's helped me lately is I've tried to let my sharing of the gospel overflow from the fact that I am a witness to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. If if you're a follower of Jesus, what you're saying is I have had an experience with someone who was killed and came back to life. You haven't maybe had the flesh and blood experience like where you saw him and touched him, but You've had an experience of faith in your heart from a person who was killed at one time and came back to life. You are a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's amazing news. Like everyone needs to know that, that Jesus really did come back to life. He proved he was who he said he was. He is who he said he was, I don't know. Um, So we gotta own this. Own that we have the testimony of having met a person that was dead and came back to life having met the son of the living God um Vinnie Harris who's a worship leader of this church and my brother-in-law he uh is in a band with some other guys from the church called come up here have you guys heard of that band come up here you Should look them up they're really awesome um but they got asked to lead worship at a big like tent revival, essentially an outdoor conference in Oklahoma a couple weeks ago. And so they were out in Oklahoma um, a couple days before the thing started at, a, at Sonic eating. Vinny and his wife and his kids, his family. And their, um, their uh, server, Samantha, complimented Vinny's tattoo. He's just got a tattoo on his neck. When he sent me a picture of it, I thought it was fake. I was like, really, bro, you got a neck tattoo? Come on. But it's sick, and it, this story is amazing. So Vinny has a tattoo on his neck of a butterfly, except the face of the butterfly is a skull. And Samantha, the server, said, hey, I really like your tattoo. And he was like, oh, cool. And then his wife like elbows him, like, tell her the story behind your tattoo. And Vinny said, yeah, well, I got this tattoo because I've gone through a transformation myself from death to life. I, uh, two years ago, I was in rehab, addicted to um, Percocet and opiates, and now I'm totally clean, I have my whole family back, I am thriving in life, and like, it's all because of Jesus. He took the deadness in my life and made it new and, and you know, saved my life. And the server, Samantha, just starts, she's like, I can't believe this, I'm two months clean right now. And my husband is in rehab, he's about to get out in a couple days. And so Vinny and Jackie just minister her, share with her, love on her some, and uh, tell her that, hey, we're in town for this big tent revival, you should come to it. She's like, okay, and so they swap phone numbers. And then um, Jackie gets a text from her two days later, and she says, you're never gonna believe this. Another person coming to that tent meeting came into Sonic and shared the gospel with me. I really think God wants me to come to this tent meeting. (laughs) And so, let's show, show, pull up the first picture, Denise. So here's a picture of Samantha getting baptized two weeks ago. And there's Kenan and another guy on staff here at the church baptizer. Then go to the next picture. And here's Dylan, her husband, also getting baptized. All Vinny was doing was witnessing to what Jesus had done in his life. He didn't provide this 10-point gospel presentation. He said, hey, I was a drug addict. I was really stuck and broken in life. I was losing my family and God changed it all. And he wants to do that for you too. That's that's the essence of our sharing is being witnesses. Think think about for the the apostles. They weren't sharing a theology when they told people Jesus rose from the dead. They were sharing their experience. So like, I'm not, this is going to sound weird, but like kind of like take that, extract that idea that Jesus rose from the dead from the Bible, okay? It's in here, but it's also out here. It's in every single seat in this room that is following Jesus. I I don't need the Bible to tell me Jesus rose from the dead. I see the transformation in your guys' lives that tells me Jesus rose from the dead. All right. So when you think of sharing, think of these four things. Proclaims, demonstrates, sows, and disciples. Proclaims is when we we use our mouth to um, declare and witness to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Proclaiming is speaking, it's telling someone something. Now, we're not called just to proclaim, we're also, there's power just in proclaiming. There are anointed words, Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus loves you, those are never a cliche, okay? But we're also called to demonstrate the gospel. On Tuesday night, Jordan texted me, the guy that was up here talking about kingdom pursuit, and said one of, the, one of the students that night had gotten healed of a broken wrist and left not wearing her cast because they prayed for her. and still now she's not wearing her cast because her wrist is healed. She doesn't need it anymore. So that's, that's demonstrating, okay? That's showing, hey, I wanna show you what it looks like when the king has his way in a situation. When Jesus has his way in a situation, broken bones are healed. So we're not called to just proclaim the gospel, but also demonstrate it. We are amazing as a church at demonstrating the gospel. That is one of our greatest strengths is praying for the sick, um, prophesying, and giving people experiential encounters with the kingdom of God. Now, we also wanna be sowing, and that's a farming term. That's what you do when you put seeds down. So sowing is like, and here's what i say, we wanna sow generously and abundantly. We just wanna be sharing all the time, not looking for anything in return, not looking for a response, not looking for this person to get on their knees and get baptized, but just to put it out there. To live an effective life of evangelism and of sharing, it's not about getting people saved. And it's not about getting people healed. It's about obedience. <laughs> you actually can step back in the um, discipleship, con- in the core qualities of discipleship continuum, you say, hey, I'm sharing, because I wanna be obedient. And then you never fail when you share. And it's always successful and it's always joyful. Um, So we wanna sow generously. We don't wanna just like abundantly be sowing and sharing. And then lastly, disciples. One of the really cool things about that prayer time where the girl got healed, uh, the first time the person prayed, they prayed a kinda like, begging-ish God, hey God, will you please come and heal this girl's wrist, type of thing. And Jordan interrupted her and said, hey, that's not how we pray. Pray like this, in Jesus' name, I command the bone to be healed. He interrupted her and told her to pray that way, and good that he did, because her wrist is healed now. Now, that was Jordan discipling. That was Jordan saying, hey, here is um, the way that you, the the way that we're supposed to obey Jesus and how we pray. Pray like him, pray like his disciples. And just a really quick aside, I'm not trying to say that you, if you don't command healing, it's never gonna happen. There's plenty of times people get healed without that. But my point here is um, part of sharing is discipling others. Part of sharing is taking this list of these three core qualities and helping other people to take their next step, okay? So what I wanna do now for kind of like an application is just take a couple moments of quiet and let you guys listen to the Holy Spirit, and pray for a moment about which one of these three core qualities God is um, speaking to you about right now. And what I want you to do is think in terms, so yeah, let's just do this. I'm gonna pray, you see which one of those three, how specific God's gonna be with you, and you know, if you've never heard God's voice before, it can be as simple as a, a thought that comes into your mind that seems like it was out of nowhere, okay? so like. You can hear God's voice, have peace. If you don't even know Jesus, you can hear his voice right now and he wants to talk to you about how to live like him, okay? So Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us right now about our next step in uh, being a disciple. Is it listening, is it obeying, or is it sharing that you, wanna, that you want each of us individually to focus on this morning, All right, amen. If you didn't feel like God highlighted one in particular to you, just pick one, okay, they're all great. Now, I wanna show you something I do at the end of Bible studies a lot, which is set a SMART goal. So you can bring up that slide, a SMART goal. A SMART goal is specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-oriented. Specific speaks for itself. Measurable is not just like, I wanna pray a lot but it's like, I wanna pray every day. Um, Achievable is not, I wanna pray every day for the rest of my life, but I wanna pray every day for the next two weeks. Um, Relevant is it has to do with the core qualities of a disciple, what we're talking about. And time-oriented is you put a time span on when it's gonna happen. So I want you just to turn to the, I know this is kinda like not typical Sunday morning flow, but just turn to the people around you and dialogue for a couple minutes about what a SMART goal in the area that God just spoke to you about could look like. Like recently I set a goal that I'm gonna have an intentional prayer list where every Monday I pray for the, these things, Tuesday these things, Wednesday these things, Thursday these things. And that came out of a Bible study where I set a SMART goal. So turn to the people around you and if you don't know anyone here then scoot your butt over to someone you don't know because it's great to talk to people, okay? And say, hey, what is, which one was God speaking to you about? And what are you gonna do about it? All right? Ready, set, go. Danny. Come on up here. You and Alicia can make a goal together. Keep going through your group so that everyone gets to share. It can just be brief. It can be half-formed even. It doesn't need to be perfectly formed. right you at least got it started let me just pray for you to end my message is that cool if i pray for you guys pray for me you know you might even want to follow up with a person you just made the goal with and say hey how's it going after a week so jesus we need your power to share we need your power to obey we only love and listen because you first loved us So Lord, we just reject any uh, heavy yoke and we just say we wanna walk in full surrender to you. But I pray empowerment right now, God, over your church to walk in full surrender to you. Not by might or by strength, but by your spirit, Lord. We wanna walk faithful to you and bring transformation into society. In Jesus' name, amen.